0: This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com.
1: Hey friends, Thomas and John here, and we're going to continue our study in the book of Philippians in this series we've called Redeeming the Disruption. Uh, This conversation today I think is perfect for the conversation that we've been having with many people at Calvary, friends and family Mm -hmm thinking about what we sense as a loss of a few months ago to what we experience today in this question, what do you miss the most? And that's a question of loss. What do you miss the most that you hope to get back at some point?
0: Yeah, I think that's a question that we're all asking each other and we've been sharing with each other about, man, two months ago, life was so different. And you can start with maybe the stock market, like tons of losses there. There's been a tragic loss of life. Many of us have Lost loved ones or no people who have, um, you know, become sick because of this. Uh, I know my family, and I'm I'm sure many of you too, had like spring break vacation plans, and they were just canceled. Trips. Other things that we just really have a sense of loss right now. And it's one of the hardest parts, I think, of this season.
1: And if that's the first question, what do you miss the most? The question about loss. The other question that I've heard a lot that I've asked and been asked is, what sorts of things do you actually have learned that you value in these days that maybe you want to help carry forward? What's surprising new events that you hope to actually add to your life? And that's a question of gains. Yeah,
0: yeah. it's, it's funny to think that in a, in a season like this that there could be gains that we've experienced. Um, I know my family has enjoyed gathering around the table for a meal every night you know, and you you sort of appreciate how nice it is to gather together. I think some of us have reconnected with relationships that we hadn't talked to in a while, and suddenly now jumping on FaceTime with someone you haven't seen for a long time doesn't feel as awkward as it maybe did before, and it's like, man, I've missed this person, and I've kind of gained a relationship back. There have, even in the midst of uh, economic loss, there have been companies like Amazon and Zoom who's Uh, gains have been extraordinary financially. And uh, so it's an interesting theme that Paul kind of unpacks here, the difference between gain and loss.
1: What we're gonna see Paul do is actually move to some financial ideas, like a ledger and a bottom line of what are real losses, and what are true gains? And what does the bottom line of that ledger look like? So if you've got your Bibles, open up to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to continue right where we left off last week, starting in verse 1.
0: Paul says, Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe to you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The way Paul starts the first verse of this chapter is by encouraging his brothers and sisters to rejoice in the Lord. And when you think about the question of what have I lost and what have I gained in this current season of my life, I think there's a big question of joy for many of us. I've been thinking through some of those losses that I've experienced. Like I I love to travel. Our family had a trip planned and we lost that. And there's a sadness that goes along with that. Um, Lindsay and I love going out to dinner together. That's something that we share and we enjoy and we look forward to. And that obviously hasn't been a possibility for a couple months and might not be for many more. And losing that, I've been kind of wrestling with the Lord about, okay, what what was my joy really built on? Was my joy really truly built on or in Jesus, as Paul says, or was I experiencing joy in my life because of these kinds of like doses of happiness that would happen in my circumstances? I'd get to take a trip. I'd get to see my friends at work. I'd get to go out to dinner. And that filled me with happiness, but maybe not joy. The difference, I think, between happiness and joy is this: happiness comes and goes, but joy in Jesus lasts forever. And what I love about the way that Paul encourages the church at Philippi to have joy is, is he says, um, "You should rejoice, brother and sisters, in the Lord. You shouldn't have joy about the Lord." He's not encouraging to encouraging them to experience joy from the Lord or be joyous because of the Lord even though those things are true. He's saying you should your joy should like live in Jesus. Everything about your life should be so enveloped in who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for you and and what it's like to live life in him that you experience joy. One commentator has said that for the apostle Paul, his permanent residence was found in Jesus. So that means wherever he goes, he can experience joy. Paul's writing this from prison and he's saying to his brothers and sisters, you should experience joy in the Lord. That's coming from a man who understood what it it meant to, to take up permanent residence in the Lord Jesus, to have your life so completely surrounded by him so filled by him that no matter your circumstances, no matter if, if good things that you loved before are taken away, no matter if you're in chains, you can say, I have joy that's found in Jesus. And that's only possible because of who Jesus is. Like if Jesus is, is a thing that, that can go away or can die, then you can't have everlasting joy in him. But Jesus is unchanging. He has no beginning and no end. He is the eternally existent son of God. And the amazing thing is, the kind of joy that Paul promises that we can experience in Jesus now is an eternal kind of joy. Like Think about for a moment that you can have joy in Jesus now and in one trillion years... If you have joy in Jesus now, you will still be experiencing joy in Him to an even greater extent than now. I, I think that's amazing. He goes on to say, uh, "To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you." This feels this feels like a like a preacher because um, I, I was thinking uh, as you and Tom were preaching through Philippians chapter two, how often when I preach, I want to reference that chapter because it's easy for me to go back to it. And it's safe to remind people of who Jesus is, what he's done, why he left heaven, why he came to earth, that he has the name that is above every name, like all of these things that are easy to remind people of. And I think Paul's just saying, I, I love to remind you to have joy in Jesus. And then he wants to warn us yeah. and his
1: audience about some things that could rob us of joy. You know, like you say, like a good pastor of a church or you think of a great father or mother who's guarding and, and loving their children. It's no trouble to warn them again and again of where you find real life and, and where to avoid things that wanna rob that from you. And so, yes, let's find the real joy in Jesus Christ, in the Lord. And then here are the warnings that there are, there are people out there, there are those that will actually wanna lead you astray from the source of finding your joy in the Lord. And here Paul calls them, Dogs, evildoers, and those who mutilate the flesh. Those are strong words. Yeah, it's kind of insulting. It's very insulting. You know, it's, it's not as though we think of dogs like household pets and right. Fluffy and, oh, I love my, my dog. and I'm so glad I get to be my dog's guardian in Boulder County. Hmm. Uh, no, the dogs here are very different. Dogs here are those who are filled with disease, those who roam the streets, those who are vicious. It's probably more accurate to think of the word rat or wolf as those that can actually devour someone, who feed themselves on the, the wounds of the sick, who return to their vomit. This is not a good picture. And so what is Paul doing to warn the Philippians about these people that he calls Dogs, evildoers, and those who actually mutilate the flesh, because the group of people he's talking about are not the culturally reprobate, mm-hmm, right. but he's speaking about religious leaders that are trying to teach people a certain way that will lead them away from the Lord, mm. this everlasting joy. And so this word dogs didn't, didn't settle well on me. I'm thinking, why would Paul use this word? I mean, it doesn't seem to be fitting of him. And, and I read a whole bunch this weekend. Probably the most common response is, well, Jesus used this word a couple times of the religious leaders. He said, don't take your holy things and throw them before dogs. Because dogs don't know what to do. They're animals. They don't know what to do with holy and precious things. I mean, you don't make your grandma's china your dog's dish, you know. But that didn't really settle well with me either. Saying, okay, well, Jesus used it, but why did Jesus even use it? Or why does Paul use it here? And I think it's because of this. Here in the text it says, that the true circumcision, that means the true children of God. Hmm. The circumcision is those who belong to God. Remember, that was what was given to Abraham as an external sign that you belong to the covenant. And here Paul's saying the true children of the covenant do a few things. They, they worship God in spirit. Hmm. They glory in Jesus Christ. Glory means they, they treasure or make much of Jesus. Yeah. And they take no confidence in the flesh. And so that's what the true children do. That means the dogs, the evildoers, the mutilators of the flesh, actually lead away from those things. And the reason I think he calls them dogs is because, see, we were made in God's image. We were his image bearers, men and women to reflect the image of God. We're not animals. And our call as human beings is called to be worshipers of God, worshipers of God in spirit. And we are to treasure Christ, glory in Christ as human beings, and not to hold on to the things of the flesh. And in fact, as we worship God, and as we glory in Christ, and loosen our grip and our confidence of flesh, we become more and more what God has called us to be, even human beings. And those who lead away from that, to say, you don't need to worship God in the Spirit. Don't treasure Christ. Hold on to the flesh. Actually, dehumanize someone actually reduce you to an animal and that's why I think you can say okay this teaching that leads away from the worship of God that leads away from glorying in Christ and and tries to teach people to hold on to the flesh like dogs they'll reduce you they'll dehumanize you but you are the true children of God Living out the image of God, image bearers, as you live into these things. And so Paul says, okay, I take no confidence in the flesh. Yeah. And then he begins to list all these confidences of the flesh that Paul took a lot of confidence in for the majority of his life. So, so Paul ascribed to many of the things that they said were great, the things that they aspired to be, things that they viewed as uh, great accomplishments or accolades or badges, so to speak. And so he lists seven well-known badges. Three are part of his inheritance or his heritage. And then four are based on his accomplishments, his own works. And so the first, first three are talking about, well, I was just born as a Jew. And I, I'm not even saying that I, I came to faith later on. I'm not a proselyte. I didn't come at 18 or 80 and have to be circumcised later in life. No, I was born into the right family and I was circumcised on the eighth day according to the law and I wasn't even born into the right family. I was born into the right tribe of the right family because I was from the tribe of Benjamin. If you remember, the first king of Israel, Saul, was from the tribe of Benjamin and so here's Paul putting on these these badges of his own heritage that he was just born into and then he talks about his own accomplishments. He says, okay, amongst the Hebrews, well, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was kind of a, cut above the cream of the crop, so to speak. And then I took a position that many people view high in society, which is the position of being a Pharisee. People looked up to me because I held a high position in society. And then according to the law, this badge of how righteous someone would be, blameless. I mean, I just thanked God all the time. I wasn't like those other people. I prayed. I fasted. I tithed. And then zeal. I never lacked it. I continue to pursue God in trying to persecute the church, actually. And so these are my badges that I used to find confidence in and hope in. And now Paul is looking at them and saying, okay, actually, they they maybe move into a a column of liabilities. But John, help us get our mind around some of these things. So how would you take what, what Paul was boasting in, what he used to hold confidence in, and move it to our contemporary context.
0: Yeah, I think it's helpful to think about it in a contemporary way. Um, You know, a lot of times when I think about Paul prior to uh, his conversion, I view him sort of as like a villain, you know? Like he was persecuting the church, he was doing things that uh, with hindsight we can say were evil deeds. But that wasn't Paul's motivation, and that's not the way that his friends and colleagues and the society that he lived in looked at him. Like, as you talk about uh, his sort of resume, like, he had a sterling one. He had an amazing reputation, well thought of, like highest levels in society. It would be like someone who was born today with, a, with a, the last name of a family that we all know. You know, you're a Kennedy or you're a Bush or you're a Rockefeller. Or a and, Milburn. Or a Milburn, of course. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that first? I don't know. And, and all of the privilege that goes with that. You know, you're, you're, you're born into affluence, You're born into a a certain amount of um, entitlement just because of your family, of where you've come from. And you're going to grow up, you're going to go to the best schools, and you're going to Uh, relate to people who also are similarly affluent and privileged and that's just gonna be the life that you live and you're probably gonna go to boarding school not because you're a bad kid but because you you are gonna get the best possible education and you're gonna go to Harvard undergrad, right? And then you're gonna go to Yale Law School and you're gonna graduate first in your class and you're gonna probably clerk for the Supreme Court and then you're gonna end up getting a job at like the most preeminent law firm in New York City and everybody who's there is gonna look at you and say, man, she is gonna make partner before anybody else because look at, her, uh, look at her reputation, look at her resume, look at all of her experience and she's rising faster than anybody else. That's the way Paul was. And so he's not arguing against these, these people that he's, he's trying to protect the flock from. He's not arguing from like a position of jealousy. But like, I had it all. I was with these people. When you looked at my resume, this, this like sevenfold list of my inheritance and my accomplishments, like it's unbelievable. And the amazing thing is he says, when I, when I put that on a balance sheet beforehand, all of that that I had, all of my resume stuff was all in the assets column. And then I came to know Christ. And once I met Christ on the road in person and he transformed my life, I realized that all of my personal accomplishments even my own personal spiritual heritage and lineage was not really an asset but it was actually a liability and he counts it as a loss as opposed to knowing Christ and and if he has a balance sheet you know on the left side is gain on the right side is loss assets liabilities he says what i've learned is the only asset i have in my entire life is Jesus, he is worth so much more than anything else in the whole world, any of my accomplishments, any of my uh, religious effort, that he's the only thing that I count as gain. That's, that's an amazing uh, comment from the Apostle Paul.
1: It's important to recognize, as you were saying, if he recognizes that Jesus Christ is the greatest gain, all of those things truly are liabilities because they do not help you gain Christ. His whole point here of, I do not trust in these things, I don't put confidence in these things. You have to kind of know why he doesn't put confidence in them. If his goal was to get human approval, then surely Paul would put confidence in these things. But if the goal is to gain Christ, none of these things, none of these religious activities, none of these badges help him gain Christ. He says here in chapter 3, verse... 9, or we'll start in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I mean, that word rubbish is truly dung. Mm. It, it is feces. I, I, I see it as dung in order that I may gain Christ. Christ is the greatest gain. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith. And so the reason he views it as rubbish, that there's no confidence here, is because that doesn't help him gain Christ. Remember what he said about his blameless life in front of the law? He says, okay, if there was a righteousness that comes from the law, then look at me. I mean, I'm blameless, I've achieved it, I'm at the pinnacle. But he says, that could not achieve for me Christ. But the only way that we gain Christ and be found in him comes through faith the righteousness that God supplies. So if you're to use the word currency, we're using some uh, financial terms today. The currency of gaining Christ is none of Paul's heritage and accomplishments. The currency of gaining Christ is faith. The reason Paul takes no confidence in the flesh is because that currency is worthless to gain Christ. Only faith. Gains us Christ. And faith is a gift. It doesn't come from ourselves. It is a gift by grace from God that we would receive not our own righteousness, not our own heritage and our own accomplishments, but the accomplishments and the inheritance that comes through Jesus. I think I've come to learn this. It's impossible to receive the righteousness of Christ until we recognize that we have no righteousness of our own. And so when you put the ledger up here of losses and gains, the bottom line, the bottom line that Paul is, is driving the Philippians to understand is this. Real loss is living and dying without Christ and true gain is living and dying with Christ. That's the bottom line is are you found in Christ. Now, we've been talking about this this week and we've been journeying through this text and we've been asking ourselves some of these questions that we'd wanna share with you. Maybe some of these questions would be helpful for you in taking some of your next steps. For some that we've talked about and talked with, it's hard to recognize our need for Jesus. Some would say, well, I don't feel like I'm missing anything I don't feel like I'm that bad off. I don't feel like I have this need to loosen my grip on things of the world and try to grab Christ. And here's a question for you to ask of the Lord. God, help me see if this is truly the greatest gain is to know Christ. And the things that I've been living for in my own self-sufficiencies, my own accomplishments are truly rubbish. God, if that's true, would you help me see? That's the question you're asking of God. God, would you help me see myself accurately? Because remember, Paul spent the majority of his life self-satisfied, secured in these things until he met and came to know the greatness of Christ. And so you might be living in this time where Paul was for most of his life, not being able to see it as rubbish yet. And so ask God, say, God, would you give me eyes to see accurately? What is real loss and what is true gain in Christ?
0: And sometimes we need to lean in on what are the things that we're holding on to so strongly that we need to loosen our grip a little bit so that we can see Jesus as um, more valuable and fill our hearts and, and allow him to fill our hearts with more joy than the things that we're holding on to that are holding us back from experiencing joy in Jesus, from, from putting Jesus in the asset column of our life and saying, you know what? There are other good things that God gives us, right? Like that's a joy of following God, that he blesses us. There are beautiful experiences in life that are good things that come from God. But but we want to be the kind of people who love Jesus so much and who are, are living in him in such a way that we can say, you know what, all of those things pale in comparison to the joy that I find in Jesus. And that's been a helpful uh, sort of process for me as I've been grappling with the Lord in this season about some of those things that have been taken away, to say, Lord, do I need to loosen my grip on some of these experiences, on some of my freedoms, on some of the things that I enjoy, so that I can experience the depth of joy that is found in prizing Christ over all things?
1: Perhaps for some of us, we, we know Christ, and this is truly a great timely warning. As, as Paul says, it's of no trouble of, of mine to remind you once again. It was no trouble of ours to go back to Philippians once again and say, Lord, would you remind us and warn us with your scriptures? And so for some of us who have loved Christ and followed Christ need this warning today to help reorient and calibrate us in what is our truest, greatest gain, which is being found in Christ. And and I know you're saying, I don't do that perfectly. And to be honest with you, I don't do it perfectly. John doesn't do it perfectly. And the Apostle Paul... Didn't yeah. do it perfectly. And the Apostle Paul is the very one that continues this conversation saying, not that I have attained all this or become all that, but a couple of things that I'm doing, I'm going to forget what's behind, I'm going to press on, and that's where we're going to go next week. What does it look like to continue to press on in these things? Because we see Jesus Christ as our greatest gain. Amen. Shall we pray?
0: Let's pray. All right. Father, we do pray that you would fill our hearts with joy because of the presence of Jesus in our life. We pray for our friends who are watching this, God, in their living rooms, in their office, at the kitchen table, with families, by themselves, wherever your church is scattered, God. And wherever people can hear our voices, we pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would fill their hearts. For any God who might need to turn back to Jesus, to confess him as Lord, to repent of a life that they have lived before and, and cast their life into Jesus. We pray, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit that that would happen. And God, we pray if there's anything in our life that is holding us back from valuing Jesus over everything, I pray, Lord, you would reveal that to us, that you would do the work in our hearts that only the Holy Spirit can to help us to prize and value Christ above all things. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminders from a man who lived in isolation at this time about what it means to press on towards Jesus, to not have confidence in the flesh, but to have confidence in the work of Christ. We give you thanks for his work and we pray in the powerful name of Jesus together amen amen